Amen. I love that song. And I, I truly hope that it's, it's what you're experiencing, right? That each and every day that you wake up, you see new mercies, right? Not, not just mercy, but new mercies. And that in the midst of all that we are experiencing, you continue to focus in on and sense the faithfulness of God. I love this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And, and not to obviously excuse or encourage faithlessness on our part, but to at least highlight just the, the assurance that we have in the faithfulness of God, the steadiness that he provides each of us. And so as we uh, prepare to open up his word this morning, let's pray and give praise for the mercies and the faithfulness of our God, our Father. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for these rich, beautiful, amazing mercies that we experience each and every day. God, we, we are grateful that even in our weakest moments, you remain faithful. God, that your name is, is a refuge for each and every one of us. And we are so uh, humbled by the fact that you extend such mercy and you demonstrate such faithfulness to us all. And so with that in our minds and in our hearts this morning, God, help us to, to approach your word with an eager expectation to, to know you more and, and to cultivate our lives in a way that centers around you. Send us your spirit, God, and help us to focus in on all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter four. We need to get right to it. Um, I will give you some confidence on the front end of this that this will be a condensed message. Uh, don't time me, uh, but I am going to, to make this much shorter since we had so many updates that I needed to run with you earlier in the service. And so uh, we're going to be back in Ephesians. Last week we took a break and deviated to the Old Testament and had a chance to look at Proverbs 31 verse 25. And we did that in honor of Mother's Day to, to kind of look at that Proverbs 31 picture, but really to to have all of us consider how wisdom helps us laugh at the days to come and to clothe ourselves with strength and dignity. Uh, but today, this morning, we're going to refocus on Ephesians, and we're going to have the opportunity to, to continue uh, our journey through this amazing letter. And, and before we get to the verses that we're going to look through uh, this morning, let me just do a quick overview and a recap to, to bring us back all on the same page and have that context laid out for us. The first three chapters are really uh, this theological uh, treatise, just this, this beautiful poetic language that is written really to inspire and encourage the reader, right? It, it focuses, in us, focuses us in on what has been done for us in Christ Jesus, right? That he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And as Paul lays that out, it serves as the foundation for what he's going to focus on in chapters four through six. So we see that shift from the theological to the practical, right? Because God has done all this in Christ, here's now how you should live. And so we've been hanging out in chapter four, and we see so many of the things that should be manifest in our lives, a, a pursuit of unity, a pursuit of maturity, right? Not to be tossed back and forth like, like an infant, but to be fully grown and to speak truth and love. Two weeks ago, uh, the day that we had kind of that crazy technical mishap, uh, I'm not sure how much of you were able to continue to, to maintain and connect, but we looked at that contrast between the old self and the new self, right? Put off the old self, put on the new self, and that really in that uh, initial contrast, Paul focuses us in on 
this renewed mind, right? To have a new way of thinking. We talked about how right thinking leads to right conduct. Well, well that all serves as a pretty important uh, foundation and, and backdrop for what we're going to be looking for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be looking at the next couple of weeks. Because now we have this series of just ethical instructions. Uh, here's what that conduct looks like. And today we're going to look at a few of those. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 25, reading through verse 28. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Okay, so these, these three verses are obviously connected with what we saw previously. That's why you have in verse 25 that declaration of therefore, right? It's, it's the progression. It's the natural progression that Paul wants to lead us through. And, and we have kind of a series of instructions that speak to truthfulness, anger, and work. And, and those are going to be the three kind of subjects that we, we briefly hit on this morning. And so let, let's start with this idea of truthfulness that really is presented first by saying, put off falsehood. And, and this is, again, something that is, is tying back into things that Paul has already said. We've seen this contrast before. If you think back to that section that focuses in on maturity, right? He, he says, put aside those de- deceitful schemes. Don't listen to those deceitful schemes, but rather speak the truth in love. And then when we were talking about the renewed mind, the old self versus the new self, he says, don't listen to deceitful desires, but seek true righteousness. So we've seen this contrast already, and, and that helps us understand how to interpret it here. So what I want us to acknowledge is that when he says put off falsehood, uh, this is more than just don't lie. It does mean that, and we're going to get to that in a second, but it also is speaking to this greater contrast that he's already pointed out, that, that to put off falsehood is to put off a life of deceitfulness, right? And so what we know is that truth is Jesus, right? He says it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The, the truth that our life should orient around is the fact that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. So, so the point is, is to live a life of truthfulness is to live a life where Jesus is Lord, a life that comes outside of Jesus or is dictated by anything other than Jesus is a life of deceit and falsehood, right? So when we think life is about our career, about our family, about our own success, our own self-interest, that's a life of deceit. That's falsehood, right? So part of what Paul is building upon is what has already been established. Man, set that falsehood aside and orient your life according to the truth that is Jesus Christ, seeing him as Lord. But it is also pointing to not lying, right? And the reason we can say that is because it's talking about the relationship with the neighbor. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. And so I do want us to give uh, some consideration this morning about what that looks like. What, one of the things that I found pretty interesting in, in studying this was that in, in Jewish tradition, it was seen that it was the neighbor's right to be given the truth, right? Which is why you have this, this one of the Ten Commandments, don't bear false witness against the neighbor, right? If you present a lie or you speak falsely or you mislead someone else or a neighbor, that is denying them of this, this basic right. And according to Jewish tradition, that was a de- dehumanizing of the neighbor, right? So what we see is that truthfulness and the way in which we speak to one another 
is of utmost importance. It, when you see that this description says, well, we're all part of, you know, a member of one body, we, we might want to take this and say, well, this is just for the church. Well, it is especially for the church, but I don't think you can say that the lessons that Paul is trying to make here are confined to the church. And part of that's because of the word neighbor. Uh, you think about Jesus's teaching of the neighbor and the many times he tried to answer that question, who is my neighbor? And he would give parables like the Good Samaritan. What his main point of emphasis was over and over again was not, don't try to figure out who a neighbor is. Live your life in such a way where you are that good neighbor, right? Where you are the one that's, that's mindful of others. Whoever is nearby, regardless of race, creed, affiliate, like you love them well. And so what we're looking at here in terms of this command towards truthfulness towards your neighbor is not just how we conduct ourselves within the church, but how we conduct ourselves in society at large, right? We need to be those who know how to speak truthfully to the neighbor. So, so what does that look like in today's climate? Well, I would present at least two things this morning. First of all, share the gospel, right? The truth is Jesus is Lord. We need to live our lives in such a way that champions that truth, right? That consistently demonstrates his lordship. That means sharing that truth with others that haven't heard it. That, that's got to be an obvious way that we speak truthfully to a neighbor. But the other component to this is, is much more practical, which is we have to fight for truth. We have to uh, guard against any temptations to be deceitful or to conceal or to hide in our relationships. Because the moment we do that, relationships begin to break down. So I think we could consider this from a couple of different angles. I think, obviously, you want to avoid the white lies, right? You want to avoid the things that you try to conceal from people just for the sake of avoiding conflict. You, you think about what might be most commonly difficult within the body of Christ is a lack of authenticity, right? A lot of times we show up in front of other believers and we put on a facade and we we act like everything's fine and we, we conceal and we hide. And that's not dealing honesty with, uh, honestly with each other, right? We have to be transparent. We have to be authentic. And, and when we do so within the body of Christ, I think that strengthens us. Now, when you think about the rest of the world, obviously we want to strive to those things. But, but I would also argue that there's, there's a certain um, climate that we're in right now that I at least want to address today to help us be on guard against. Because we live in a climate that is incredibly distrusting of the media, is incredibly distrusting of government, and, and as a result, there is this culmination of just disinformation that exists out there. And, and that existed before the pandemic, right? Now you throw in a global pandemic, and it's just, it seems like it's, it's, it's grown almost exponentially. You could get online and Google um, what are the conspiracy theories uh, attributed to the coronavirus? And the list is long. I mean, it is crazy long. It's almost too numerous to count. And so what we see is that there is this culture of just disinformation. And, and it creates this environment where people are promoting and spreading and believing lies. And so we all have to ask ourselves as we engage in this world around us, am I buying into something that is false and deceitful, and even equally concerning, am I sharing something false and deceitful, right? So, so we have to be mindful of that. We have to do the extra work to check sources, to understand where things are coming from, because when we fail to do so, it really damages our relationships and our witness. 
I came across this article uh, that was written by Ed Stetzer for Christianity Today. You all know I, I like reading his work, and he's hit on this and the importance of this very, uh, I guess, attribute or practice within the church today. And I want to read to you some of the quotes that he offered in his most recent article concerning this topic. He says, God has not called us to be easily fooled. Gullibility is not a Christian virtue. Believing and sharing conspiracies does not honor the Lord. It may make you feel better like you're in the know, but it can end up harming others and it can hurt yourselves. Too many Christians believe all is fair in some wars, and we have to be mindful against bearing false witness. We aren't to be driven by fear or anger, but by desire for speaking the truth in love, as Paul said in Ephesians 4.15. But most importantly, we damage our witness and that of the church when we focus on unproven theories and speculation more than we focus on the good news we've been commanded by our Lord to proclaim. And I love that, right? So so when we have this tendency to to share that viral video or that clickbait, and I've I've seen this recently with friends and with with family members because of this, this culture that we're in, Man, if, if we are sharing anything that can be perceived or proven to be false and misleading, man, we're destroying relationships and we're damaging the witness of the church. When, when we promote something that is unproven and detrimental with one breath and then say he is risen with the next, that creates a very damaging picture to the world around us, right? So in every arena of life, right, be it with the body of Christ, beyond the body of Christ, we have to be ambassadors for truth. Because truth is what strengthens a community, right? It's what builds it up. And and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that if you think about the progression, the absence of truth leads to an absence of trust. And when no trust exists, then things begin to become destructive. It's the little boy who cried wolf all over again, right? And now things become harmful. And, And when you have a truth problem that leads to a trust problem, it often leads to an anger problem. Right, which is kind of why we see this possibly being the next part of Paul's instructions here. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. I love this, this verse because it reminds us of the dangers of getting too angry. <clears throat> right? You can read further and find in verse 31 that he says, man, rid yourself of all anger, no matter what type or what kind. You, you could go read James 1, 119 that says, be slow to become angry, and then 120 that says anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, right? So over and over again, we, we see that though anger is likely to occur, it is not something that we should rationalize, permit, or excuse because it is so dangerous. And the reason it becomes dangerous is because it can become so destructive. And so Paul does this, this beautiful thing. He brings in this timeline, right? He says, so don't let the sun go down while you're angry, and, and again, this is tapping back into Mosaic law in Jewish tradition where it was seen that a lot of practices and a lot of things had to be done and complete by sunset. And so Paul is bringing in that idea and that practice and now he's applying it to anger, saying you need to resolve this well before the sun goes down. Don't give that anger an opportunity to continue. Don't, don't let it fester. Don't let it simmer. Don't let it smolder into a new day. He's compelling us out of anger and towards forgiveness, right? Towards reconciliation. And that's really important because the more we let anger fester and simmer, the more destructive it becomes. 
John, John Hopkins Medicine has uh, research out on the, um, the impact of anger and forgiveness. And it's, it's what you would anticipate. It's similar to a lot of these studies that shows that when you are dealing with chronic anger, you let it brew and, and just continue to build, it's going to jeopardize uh, your health <clears throat> from a standpoint of uh, decreasing your immune system, making you more susceptible to heart uh, attacks and, and, and the risk of heart disease, stress, anxiety, all those things that are typically associated with that emotion. And yet at the same time, folks that are good at practicing forgiveness see the opposite effects, right? It, it improves your immune system. It, it decreases your risk of, of heart disease. It helps you with anxiety, depression, all those different things. So there are literal physical benefits to pursuing uh, something that is more in forgiving rather than holding on towards anger. And in the article, it, it mentions that 62% of American adults would acknowledge they need uh, more forgiveness in their life. And so what does that look like? Well, in, in that particular article, there's a doctor by the name of Karen Swartz who, who offers, a, I think, what is a pretty good definition. She says, forgiveness is an active process in which you make a conscious decision to let go of negative feelings, whether the person deserves it or not. I love that, right? So, so let me break that down for us this morning. Forgiveness is not waiting for somebody to come tell you they're sorry and then accepting an apology, right? Forgiveness is letting go of those negative feelings that you may have towards somebody, whether they deserve it or not, whether they've apologized or not. That's true forgiveness, and so a question I want you to evaluate this morning is, do you have people, right? Do you, do you have a list that when you hear a name of somebody, it immediately conjures up these negative feelings and you start thinking, man, I just can't stand that person. Or man, that, that person just annoys me. Or gosh, you, you remember when that person, and if you have those sorts of thoughts and feelings towards others and you've allowed that anger to, to grow into resentment, or to become a grudge that has served as a wedge between your relationships rather than a bridge that should strengthen a relationship. And you have to surrender that anger, right? That the Bible tells us to repent of it. We, we need to be compelled towards forgiveness, right? That's the sort of, of mark of, of the church and of believers that we need to demonstrate to the relationships around us, right? So it's, it's not just be truthful, it's, it's also avoid being angry. And one of the greatest reasons for that is not just because it might benefit your health, but because as Paul says, when you continue to be angry, you give the devil a foothold, right? It literally means make room. So, so picture this. If you live a life of forgiveness and you carry that sort of posture, you are literally crowding out the devil, right? There, there's no entry. There's no access, right? You're, you're giving him no space in your life. But the moment we begin to hold on to anger and let it turn into resentment. It's like we're opening up the door and inviting the devil in to just come wreck shop in our lives, right? So, so literally, if you, if you practice that, you are inviting the devil in. The more we practice deceit and falsehood and anger, the Lord withdraws and the devil begins to rule. But the more we practice truthfulness, the more we practice forgiveness, it's like we're crowding him out. There's no space for him to even come in. So we have to be ambassadors, not just of truth, but also forgiveness. Now, the third part of the instructions in this passage today uh, start talking about, hey, if you're stealing, don't steal any longer, uh, but rather work for, use your hands for work that is useful for others by sharing according to their needs. 
And, and this is a really interesting passage because I think if, if you're like me, there might be a tendency to kind of look at that transition and hear Paul say, hey, if you're stealing, steal no longer, and go, I'm out. This doesn't really apply to me. I'm not a klepto. There's, I really haven't done anything that's related to thievery in quite some time. And so I can just kind of move on to the next instruction. But what I love about the way this passage is written, and even, even more so what I love about the gospel, is that the gospel is not just a list of don'ts, right? It's not just here's what you need to avoid. It's here's the life you need to live, right? So it's not just, hey, don't, don't speak falsely. Don't lie. Uh, don't get angry. Don't steal. It's here's what you should do. Pursue truth, right? Pursue forgiveness. Uh, p- pursue work that is beneficial for others. And so that's really the focus for us this morning is, and what does it look like for us to use our hands for work in a manner that is useful for others? So the word useful literally means good, right? Something that is morally good for another person. And the way that goodness is defined in this text is that you are able to actually share and meet the needs of others. And, and I want to make sure you get that picture accurate because the sharing here is, is not a, a long-distance sort of um, gesture, right? A lot of times we share by writing a check and, and kind of putting in the mail or whatever, The sharing here is relational, right? It's personal, it's intimate, right? There's a connection that exists to where you're actually aware of a specific need and you are then able to meet it. That's what this passage is calling you to do, to take the work of your hands and rather than use it for yourself, use it to meet the needs of someone else. Essentially, the picture that's being created here is that your work is not for yourself profit, but for the communal well-being. And think about how radically different that is. What if we all actually lived our lives that way, right? What if that was truly demonstrated in the church where your career, your your profession, your dream was not dictated by, man, I I wanna be able to have this sort of luxury in my life, right? I wanna have this kind of success, this kind of status. I want my retirement to look like this. And so much of your energy and your labor is driven by your own self-interest. But what if we all approached our careers to say, whatever wages I earn are there so that I can help meet the needs of others. Whatever skills I learn, whatever path I actually pursue is not for my benefit, but for the benefit of the community, right? What if we live that way? Talk about a radical shift. That, that is perhaps one of the most tangible examples of the difference between the old self and the new self, right? Using your work for the benefit of others. And what a beautiful thing to aspire to. And, and so let me, let me close by trying to tie this all together with just a couple of, of final points. What I, what I really love about this section and these three commands that, that really kind of all share in common is this idea of the neighbor, right? It's what you're doing. You're speaking truthfully to the neighbor, right? That you are forgiving the neighbor, that you're meeting the needs of the neighbor. I love this. It is the essence of the gospel. If you wanna know what it looks like to have a renewed mind, right? When, when that gospel takes hold of us and we put our old self aside and we clothe ourselves in something new and our minds are being renewed, it shifts our gaze off of ourselves and on to the neighbor, I love that. It it creates this lifestyle where we once again begin to be driven by a radical and unyielding love for the neighbor. And so that's something we all need to ask ourselves. Is that evident 
in my life, right? Is my thinking more on myself or on the other? Is it on the neighbor? Am I demonstrating that love towards others? Am I pursuing that sort of lifestyle? That, that's what the gospel does. That's how we begin to really see its transformation. But I love one of the verbs that's included in this text that really kind of helps set the appropriate expectations. Right? It's, that, it's that verb, work. Right? And I love that. It, that word literally means to exhaust oneself. And, and part of what that does is set appropriate expectations. And an important reminder for us this morning, loving your neighbor, it takes work. Right? And in many times, it's exhausting. Right? How many times do we get confronted with those opportunities and we're thinking to ourselves, man, this is just not the right time. It's not convenient. Um, I'm tired. Uh, this is going to be uncomfortable. Right? And, and really what it's telling us is that, yeah, exactly. That's that's to be expected. It's work. So put in the work. Be willing to exhaust yourself to demonstrate that radical and unyielding love for the neighbor. Think about what that looks like, not just in your own life, but when a church is willing to exhaust herself for the benefit of the community. And that is what people should see because that's what was modeled for us in Christ Jesus, was it not? I mean, in him, we have the perfect picture of what work looks like to show love for the other, to show love for those who are near. With Jesus, we have this, this amazing portrait of somebody who in the midst of being tired, in the midst of finding all these different men, still found the capacity to turn with compassion and speak to the lame, the crippled, the poor, the beggar. It is this Jesus who rises up and says, I have not come to be served, but to serve. He's the one that gets down on his hands and knees and washes the disciples' feet. He's the one that was willing to shed his own blood and endure the agony of the cross and all of that pain and all of that persecution so that we could look and see this broken, battered, and exhausted body hanging there on the cross so that you and I can experience his new mercies. And when he was willing to exhaust himself at that point and he had finished that work, what happened? He shared with us the glorious inheritance of eternal life. And he meet the deepest need that all of us long to have met. That's exactly what was modeled for us in the work of Christ. And it's exactly how we should follow in his footsteps by showing that same sort of radical love to the neighbor. He exhausted himself for you and for me. May we do the same for him and for our neighbor. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we love you. And we ask God that you would continue to give us that spirit of determination to love you so fiercely that it helps us love so fiercely the ones around us. God, that we would have that radical and unyielding love. God, in the areas of our life where we fall victim to deceit or falsehood or, or we give in to anger or we begin to, to just take for ourselves, God, let us set those tendencies aside and be ambassadors of truth, ambassadors of forgiveness, willing to exhaust ourselves to, to work tirelessly so that we can meet the needs of others and share the good news of Jesus. We thank you for that, Father. And we ask that you would lead us accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.